0: Hey, I'm Paul Ford and I'm Rich Ciotti. And this is Track Changes the official podcast of Postlight, a digital product studio at 101 5th Avenue in New York City. We build your apps, we build your websites and we build the big scary platforms that live underneath them.
1: Yeah, and we design as well. It's true. And when I
0: say build, I mean we make it look good and we make it work really well.
1: You know, one of the I think one of the the strengths of this podcast is we've been pretty open about this little baby business that we're we've been growing called Post Light.
0: That's right. It's a toddler now. It's it's walking, it's on two feet. It's on two feet and like we put
1: the little corners on the table. It's it's baby proofed. Yes. The house is baby proof, but because he, he, he keeps pulling the crystal ashtray off the table. It's, oh, it's, a, little, it's, it's it, a little rough. He hits his a head rough. a lot. He yeah. hits his head a lot. And one of the things we're talking through is
0: marketing. Right. How do we get new business and what do we tell to the world in order to get new business? Right, and and truth be told, by
1: all measures, year one of Postlight, which was most pretty much 2016, was a big success for a one-year-old agency. We grew pretty quickly,
0: and let me ask we you a question. Landed. Though. Yes. do you do you feel that in your heart? It is. No, a, I, I don't either. I am driven by failure. Objectively, I know that. Objectively, I, am driven, I can see.
1: Yeah, I am dr- Well, and I also have heard it from other people who have said, "You should really pause for a second and just appreciate what you pulled off in year one." Not you, meaning me, but you, this group of people that was able to do what it, you did in and People year one. think
0: that motivates you, but it doesn't. Uh, well, my life, my brain,
1: and my motivations are garbage. That's I just. just yeah, I am convinced that I'm going to get found out any minute and that's just that's we don't need to get into me. No,
0: people are people say relax, lean back, have a cigar and I'm like the only reason I can light it is I'm hanging over a volcano right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's how it's I want. It's really
1: too bad that the that you and I have the same pathology, rather than actually one of us being the supportive, like it's one that, that walks the other off the cliff.
0: No, I never come to you and I'm like, Rich, let's just get a great bottle of wine and celebrate the good thing that oh we no, just did.
1: oh we'll go on Slack in a private chat between you and I, and the conversation will start with, we're done. We do our best. <laughs> we do our best to insulate the people around us well, from this. Correct, and and I think look deep down, we know. This thing is going good. It's just, I think it's from where we came from. We both came from pretty insta- unstable backgrounds that didn't provide that sort of cushy stability, that sort of smooth waters first 25 years of life. You know what it is. Neither is it, of us
0: did. It's just cycles, right? Like you and I are well trained on a one to two week cycle. One to two weeks, I'm pretty sure how that's going to go. Yeah. But after that, it's a cliff. It is. It is a cliff. So now let's talk about marketing. Now, what we found is we
1: hacked marketing year one with this podcast, with a newsletter, with some great Paul Ford articles. No, we
0: never pretended otherwise, right? Like this yeah. this is our content marketing strategy. But we made a good decision, I think, which is just always be pretty clear about where we're coming from. Here's a good example. People have asked if they can vet the podcast before we let it go out. We will not compromise We don't do that. that. We have some pretty... We should almost publish a statement of journalistic content marketing ethics yeah. because we hew to a pretty good code.
1: We're, and we're, I think we're just trying to stay authentic. We don't apologize about the fact that we pitched the business at the beginning of the show. It's almost corny. Yeah. There's a crazy Eddie quality to it. And that's okay. And And so, but now what we're seeing is it's time to do some grown up things around marketing. And we came to a realization. We need help.
0: We need structure.
1: We need some structure. Like we're actually hiring a marketing person, which might grow into a marketing team. Like there's stuff happening that is, we're putting together all the different, all uh, all the different legs of the table. People
0: may not know too, an agency at this size without an actual concerted marketing plan and structure and team is pretty unusual. It is unusual. what What it means is that Rich and me feed all the mouths.
1: In terms of getting word out, chasing leads opportunities and whatnot
0: right so if, if I have a bad day the company doesn't move forward and the same with you like it if, if you and I don't have a good day and or I'm sick at home the sales leads don't yeah keep going. I, I, to be clear the company moves forward in terms of the current
1: engagements we have we have great people that are oh the' work handling done. the work's the work getting done. done but
0: what we're thinking about is is the work
1: coming we in. are the business marketing and business development arm of the company and that's painful I'll tell you partly why. I like to build stuff. Sure. I'm I'm technical just enough to understand how stuff works. No, I
0: love to build. I love to program. I love to play.
1: Okay. But I'm more on the product side Mm -hmm. and I care deeply about thinking through and navigating how a product should mature. Mm -hmm. And we don't do a lot of that. We are business development today. And, you know, as we thought thinking about and kind of bringing a marketing strategy into focus, we came to a realization
0: that both you and I Generally speaking, don't like people. It's a little bit of a problem. And it's necessary that we like people in order for us to do our job. I think as a baseline requirement. You know, that's a little reductive, actually. I really do like people. Me too. I just have trouble. I'm not an extrovert. And I find dealing with lots of people, I need to recharge after. It's not even that it's exhausting. I just, I need a minute longer than anyone might expect. Yeah. And so I don't always feel like I have control over the relationships and the outreach because I don't get that reset time. I'm just moving. I think moving. that's right. I think and look to clarify. If someone wants to talk to me because
1: they're having a problem or they have a particular need, whether it be a prospect or or actually anyone else and it's there's some intimacy to it, I will lean forward and really get into that conversation. That's a conversation. Here's where I'm not good at. What I'm not not that I'm not good at. I just I just don't uh I don't enjoy it is the sort of fluttering from circle to circle at the cocktail the party. The room full of lanyards is tough. The room full of lanyards is tough. I'm not because gonna, like
0: I I can't do the subtle eye motion downwards to see if I know the person or their company. I'm yeah. just like, "Hi." How how do you do? It's
1: not our game. It's just not our game. I mean, we'll do it and, and don't get me wrong, if you see us, you know, at a cocktail party at a at a conference, we're not in pain, but it's really not our strength. It's it's really not what we're about. So here's
0: what I would say. It's almost a activity. Like I can do it a couple times a quarter. I can't do it every week. Some people can.
1: Yeah, some people thrive in that setting. In fact, they actually enjoy it. They love meeting new people, and they're they're just that's how they connect. And and that's I don't you know it's just not me. No, right? just, it's 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 not us. So anyway, enough of us crying enough, like children. Enough of us crying like children. Uh, so we're gonna plug those holes. That's the plan. I think we have so many strengths in terms of how do we take a conversation along. But then there's you know how do you get the word out? And also, this is a brand. We're McKinsey. We're about to meet someone from McKinsey. Is a brand that stands on its own. That if you're inside there, nice to meet you, Jim or or, or Nancy, but you're McKinsey from McKinsey,
0: like, and there's a kind of low whistle that goes off in your head. That's right. Whatever you think about the consulting industry in the world, you go, hmm, okay. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. And we're one year old, and we're Post
0: light. and I have to say, I'm very proud of how we're perceived out there. True, uh, but we are one year old. No, if, if I go we, walk up to somebody on the street and I say I'm Paul Ford with Postlight, yeah, they go, okay. Yeah.
1: Do you need a? What are you waiting for?
0: It's the same. Yeah. If Why when, are you standing there? We're going to a conference in about a week and a half. That's right. In San Francisco. And what is it, between the 6th and the 9th? 6th and the 9th. 6th and the 9th. It's the shift conference put on by our friend and client, John Battelle. And we're going specifically to meet valuable people and tell them about how we're valuable people. Yeah, introducing the business and ourselves to a new audience. And the experience there will not be hey, you, I know you, it will be, tell me about what you do. And we'll go, well, we build websites and apps. And we are a top to bottom engineering company, but we also are very design driven. I'll tell that story. Yeah, exactly. And I'll I'll practice it. Right. Right. I'll practice it in the mirror.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And in a way, I sort of wear it as a
1: badge of pride. That's the kind of the strange part of this. Like the fact that, you know, I want to get to know you in a meaningful way. I don't want it to be artificial. I'd rather really have a drink and talk just you and I and understand what's has what's going on. And I think that's a strength. But in, in it's learn- weird
0: to be I mean, we're not kids. We're in our 40s. It's weird to be still figuring it out. I thought I would kind of have this. No, we're lockdown. not gonna figure it out. No,
1: we're, we're, we're realizing is that we
0: are not unicorns that can just
1: provide all the different colors of the rainbow for the business to hum. There are going to be other pieces that are going to make it work.
0: That's right. And we need to step back and just let other people come in and help us there. That's right. So we're going to meet Prashant Agarwal.
1: Great. He is the VP of design at McKinsey Digital
0: Labs. Great. Okay, wait. Before we talk to him. Yes. What is McKinsey?
1: McKinsey is one of the most powerful management consulting companies in the world.
0: So management consulting. So I'm a manager somewhere. I have a team of like 500 people and I make running shoes. Yeah, they they pretty much advise on the strategic level. So I call McKinsey and I'm like, "Hey, I need to get my running shoes into Ecuador because I think that cuz Nike's down there. Yes. We got to compete.
1: And I need you to help me come up with a battle plan. So I'm thinking about the competitor, I'm so thinking about the landscape, I'm thinking about the customer, all of it. So and McKinsey they just comes,
0: them, they send some very well-dressed people. Very they, sharply dressed. They open up Excel, they open up PowerPoint, and they say, let's solve this.
1: They open up various types of software. Except
0: yes. that this is a VP of design. That's right. He
1: is the digital VP. For McKinsey Digital Labs Design Studio. That's a heck of an acronym. Are there any colons in there? How's that work? It's MDLDS.
2: Do you say MDLDS, Prashant? No, we just say MDL. MDL. And we, we happen to be experienced designers within MDL. Okay. Yeah. McKinsey Digital. Well,
1: we need to unpack reset. that bit by yeah, bit. Yeah, hold on. I mean, McKinsey oh Digital Labs yeah. is a part of McKinsey. So That's we're going right. to get into McKinsey and its parts a little later. But first, Prashant, We want to talk about you and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, So I I looked you up on LinkedIn. And when I look people up on LinkedIn, I go into incognito because I don't need my face being (laughs) sent to them an hour later. You can turn that off in a setting. Can you do that? Yeah. I like going into incognito. All right.
0: We all like going into incognito. little guy in the hat. You like that guy in the hat? He He lets you know you're doing something wrong. I
1: have this image of that guy in the hat sort of nodding disapprovingly shaking as I'm head. in shaking incognito, just shaking his head in disgust.
2: Do you feel like a private investigator?
1: It's like a private <laughs> investigator. So, exactly.
0: Rich, this isn't about what you look at in a incognito mode <laughs> on enough. your Chrome web browser.
1: So, <laughs> Prashant has a bachelor's in business administration, which is doesn't oh. make me think design out of the gate. That's where your ed- background education yeah. started. So, yeah. take us from there. Sure. You're out of school through... Through your career that puts you in eventually in McKinsey,
2: yeah. So I'm definitely uh, good observation. I don't come from a traditional design background, um, and I think uh, I fell into design. So we'll talk a little bit about how I got in, mm-hmm. how I got there. So uh, right out of college, I went to work for uh, the Wall Street Journal, and I worked on WSJ.com. So it was just when that was launching back in. Uh, Got 95, Mm -hmm. yeah, a long time ago. So I started my career really in online media, entry level, just a kid out of college who was interested in doing something in the internet. I thought I would end up in like, you know, I was looking for jobs at advertising agencies because at that time, that's, you know, I lived in, I was in the East Coast. That's kind of what seemed reasonable. Silicon Alley. Silicon Alley. I remember going to Cyber Suds.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember meetups Do you remember those?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a long time ago. C- cyber Suds? I, it was bad. It was, <laughs> yeah, <there were> <laughs> like, <laughs> bubble bats there were be yeah. like
0: weird events at the Puck Building yeah, and for uh, everyone to network and you're funny. in your 20s. You don't know what to do. I have no, I had no yeah, idea Yeah, but you know
2: you're ambitious, so yeah, you go. Yeah, exactly. But I, I quickly realized that, uh, Uh, While working at WSJ was cool, you know, Silicon Valley was where I was at, so I ended up moving to San Francisco, like a lot of people at that time, and I ended up working at CNET. I did a bunch of different things at CNET, and from there I got pulled into some startups, electronic software distribution, I was an analyst, I was doing some biz dev, and then I actually eventually uh, did my own startup, as you kind of have to, and on the side I I got really interested in two things, instant messaging and mobile. And so I did a startup that was uh, uh, about instant messaging for teens on mobile devices, subsidized by location-based advertising in 1999. So we were like, like mm. 20 years too early. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like we know, like startups are all about uh, timing. I, I right? got to
1: ask you the name. It was yeah.
0: called Stick Networks. Stick Networks.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. It's good. That's good. It's not yeah. a bad name. I thought yeah. I'd be able to make fun of it. But it's
0: it could have been called Teen Jam. Like it there could was,
2: have been, could have been much worse. It could yeah. have been called Teen Jam. Yeah. But we uh, we luckily gave ourselves some space to not get stuck in that. <laughs> Did you raise money? Yeah, we raised money. So we had a bunch of uh, angel investors and we actually had like a, a computer company that wanted us to use their PDA platform for our device. I mean, we wanted to do device software, the whole thing. Was, like, so going to really do hardware, immediate. too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had hired industrial designers and that was probably my first exposure wow to working with kind of traditional designers. We had designers on our team. How big was this company? We were probably god, 15-20 people. Okay. So a and
0: real startup yeah, There's like real a real startup. like very ambitious, going to change the world.
2: Yeah. Big and, plans. And you know, at at that time, we saw a couple of things. We saw AOL was king. Mm-hmm. IM was this massive platform and it was yeah. like kind of the IM wars. Mm-hmm. You know, interoperability and all this stuff. And then in Europe we saw another thing which was prepaid text messaging just taking off like crazy with teams. We're like, there's something here. How do we combine these two things? Which was great for me because it actually helped me um, build on kind of my interest in IM but also kind of dive into something which was mobile. Which at that time was very early. And mobile at that time was super interesting because it was Telecoms versus the internet. Mm-hmm. I think we know who won <laughs> uh, in the end. Oh, uh, uh, so far. So far. <laughs> it's a cycle. And uh, eventually, so that startup didn't go anywhere. It was too early. But eventually, I ended up working for Yahoo um, on their comms products. And I moved to, to London. I ran uh, Yahoo Mail and Messenger for Europe. And I, I did a bunch of other stuff at, at Yahoo, kind of in Europe, kind of give me some international exposure, working on different platforms, did some more stuff on IM and so mobile search.
1: I just want to stop you to understand what you were doing specifically. Were you sort of just general manager touching everything from deals to to products?
2: So as a product manager, my my focus was more on rolling out products. So it wasn't general management, but it was more about how do we work with the teams in Sunnyvale to kind of align our product roadmaps and roll things out in Europe. While you're focusing on Europe and their Particular
1: requirements and needs yeah. and all that. Kind.
2: Yeah, so all the businesses were slightly different, and you know we were competing for different features and functions. Um, you know, in Germany versus the UK, we had different competitors in some cases. And Got stuff. it. So eventually, I went from being kind of like a you know undergrad business person who was interested in technology, media, to being a product manager. Yes. And so I think I definitely think of myself as a as a product person. Yeah. Which is actually how I fell into design because. Doing product at Yahoo and doing mobile product, I got exposed to working with really great designers and kind of all those really interesting trade-offs you have to make Mm. um, when you do mobile, right? Because mobile, designing for mobile is like, it's like product managers are all about prioritization in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. and mobile is like ruthless prioritization. Sure. And uh, along the way, we hired this this gentleman to run um, mobile at Yahoo who came from Nokia. And he really exposed me. Nokia is a very design-centric, design-led company at that time. Really exposed me to kind of the power of design and, and how do you leverage it. And he said, to, you know, hey, I think you have a good sense of, of this. Um, you should spend more time doing this. It kind of inspired me. So when I left Yahoo, I ended up working for a design consultancy called Fjord, um, which started in London. has been around for a while. ex Freezer Fish guys. And I was the first product person to join what was a completely design-led professional services business.
1: Okay. So this is interesting. You're not a designer.
2: I'm not a designer.
1: And you're coming into, I've heard of Fjord, which is a very well-regarded design firm. Explain the mindset around bringing in a product person to a design firm. Like what is your, do designers report to you? I mean, do they give you dirty looks?
2: No, it's, uh, no, I mean, they didn't report to me. We worked, you know, on small teams, on projects, and everyone had a role and this expertise and a, and a perspective to bring. I actually found it super collaborative because I, I was worried about that very thing. Right. Is, who is this guy? Why is he in here? He can't sketch, he can't draw, he doesn't know <laughs> anything about, like, UX. But it's like, well, but I launched products that were out live in the market, and... You know, that gets you a certain amount of respect and you have a perspective. Like, you can't do everything, but you are able to represent kind of balancing. I think what product managers tend to do is the business side of it. You have to understand a bit of the technology. And most importantly, you have to really think about the customers, the end users you're serving. So there is common ground there with designers. But then the business and technology part was something that, depending on what kind of designer you were, might be a little bit, you know, alien or um, where, you know, you're like, I don't know how to do that. So help me put that in perspective. And so I wanted to become a better product person by learning how to work with designers.
1: And you had a respect and appreciation, obviously, for great design. I mean, Absolutely. Other, otherwise you wouldn't have gone down the path. Absolutely. It, right?
2: And I think um, in evolving kind of as a product manager, what I'd realized was, I think product managers, you know, broad brushstrokes is my personal experience, really were good at bridging the gap between the business and the technology by being the evangelist or the representative of the customers. What kind of occurred to me along the way is that the business and technology part was interesting, but incre- increasingly there's a missing part which was the experience. As you could do anything with software, how do you choose Like, what do you want to do and why do you want to do it? So in a way for me, like experience became the new product and bridging the gap between designers and creating experiences into like the business and technologist world is kind of what uh, I thought product manager management would be about, and I think we've seen that play out a little bit. You know, when you think about startups and the way that teams are structured now, and that you know, it's you got a business person, and you've got a technologist, and you've, you've probably got a designer, sure. kind of the leadership. level. How,
0: how do you bridge that gap when you're working with a designer and you're trying to get them over
2: into your world? What do they need to know? So I think that what they need to know is kind of like what to be precious about and what not to be precious about and how to, one, present their work as well, right? And who your audience is, so it's, I think designers are really, really good at thinking, kind of empathizing with the people they're designing for. That's what they're trained to do and they're trained to imagine kind of solutions for them. I think sometimes they have a harder time, the challenge is communicating what you think is important, and why it's important to technologists and to definitely to, to, any to, really. to any third party, any third party. Right. It's exactly. Like, what do
1: you mean? I, I, I've bonded with the user. We are one. And who the hell are you? Right. So yeah. I think there's attention, not attention. There's almost a distance there mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, oh, you're the unsympathetic manager over on the left and I've got it sorted. Right. Yeah,
2: I, I don't think it's actually much different than any expertise in, or in the way that you know, developers have probably had the same challenge, which is that, I mean, the, the biggest difference now, I think, is that we don't work in a assembly line, waterfall way within like teams that build things or even companies and partners that work together to build things. We're all building it together, and so everyone is there together, and that's a slightly uncomfortable thing for designers, mm-hmm. or for anyone, really, right? And so, just being part of that conversation is a big part of it, um, and kind of going back and forth and knowing what to give and when not to give.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. So you're at Fjord. Mid-Fjord, Yeah. I'm. I'm working as a contractor, and uh, they're like, "Hey, you know, you're doing a lot of work with some of our Finnish clients. Do you want to go to Finland?" <laughs> so I moved to Helsinki um, from London. Uh, worked with a, one of our big clients there. You can guess which one probably at that time. Mm-hmm. And Fish, Fisheries Council. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, um, And six months in, Fjord's like, we want to open an office in the U.S. You're American. Like, what do you think about that? So I ended up moving to New York and set up shop at Fjord, up the street from here, actually. Mm-hmm. And so we're first person in the U.S. Uh, so this was an interesting kind of change for me as well. I went from uh, who, someone who wanted to be a better product manager to, you know, starting to, uh, to set up shop. Yeah, a, oh, so
0: it's just you in the office.
2: It's me in the office. Okay, and without an office at this point. But this you is know, what
0: year? Where are we?
2: So I moved here in two thousand nine to New York. Okay, okay, yeah. But you know, we we had a team in London, so we we found some projects. Uh, we bootstrapped it with folks from London. We bootstrapped it with you know people we knew in the network here. Um, eventually, started hiring people full time. Ended up working with a lot of uh, financial services companies, media companies, some technology companies. Set up shop in San Francisco, expanded our, our customer base. So we had two studios in the US, we had a bunch in Europe, and then we got bought by Accenture. Oh. Well how, big, how big did you guys get before you got bought? Uh, so Fjord was about 250 people. Global. Global. Yeah. When, we got, yeah, when we got. Accenture. And
0: Accenture is about 40,000. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's a big old company.
2: I think Accenture is like 300,000. 300,000. Okay. Yeah. Is that true?
0: It's totally possible. When I was there, I All think, human? Yeah, yeah. 300,000. All right, wow. so this yeah. is, what is it like to be acquired by a 300,000 person company?
2: Um, well, you know, I think that we, I, th- I, think, I think we <laughs> were very lucky mm-hmm. um, that um, our founders were very sensitive to so like, we're a super small, little design company being acquired by this massive technology kind of driven company for the most part. And uh, so I think they'd, they'd ring fences off. We You know, the, the Fjord brand still exists. It's, you know... To this day. To this day, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Accenture's kept it. Yeah. So it's
0: a little more like advertising holding company. It's where it's, you know, we're an Accenture company as opposed to being... Yeah, it's in the footer. The I, the design division.
2: I, I think in in that particular case, that's how that one worked out. So, Smart um, on their part. It would have yeah. disintegrated otherwise, probably. Yeah, and, you know, people wanted to come out and hang out at our office. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so... So it was an interesting experience, and and it was really the first time where I got an inside look of what it's like to be at a large consulting firm that operates at a completely different scale than than we do, which is pretty fascinating, right? Because we sat either kind of downstream from very strategic management consulting firms, the work we did at Fjord and the people that we worked with, or we sat upstream from kind of a technology integrator. Right. So now we're kind of in a large firm that does a little bit of both. Yeah. And that was fascinating because we got to see kind of how much focus there was on, you know, making stuff and scale. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this is all about like scaling, helping large businesses do massive things at a massive scale. Right. Which you know, was a neat thing for us. Hmm. That's interesting to hear that it was
1: viewed as neat versus... Oh Lord, here come the corporate overlords
2: and well, they're going to sure, crush our creative freedom. I'm I sure mean.
0: there was a little of each, right? I mean, it's, that's life.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it was that clean. I mean, <laughs> I, I think, Paul, I think you're, you're right in the sense that, like, there were definitely people like, okay, you know, like, this is going to change exactly what we do. And, you know, to be honest with you, like, I was there for a year and there was a lot of, you know, like, everyone learning, like, what does Fjord really do? What does Accenture really do? Where are the common grounds? You know, and I think there was different levels of traction, you know, in Europe versus the U.S. in those first years, just given the position of the companies. Sure. So there's a lot of, like, with any, I think, acquisition or integration, like, you're learning about each other. Sure. How uh, big was U.S. when the acquisition happened? I think we were 60 people.
1: 60. 60 people, yeah.
0: What was it like? So one day you're selling, you know, fairly mid-sized uh, engagements to mm-hmm. clients, and you're a design-focused shop, very creative, exciting, cool offices. And then now Accenture sending you out on bigger, weirder engagements. Like what was the difference? Did Was there one? Did did it feel different to be working for a giant consulting firm?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think for me, what was interesting was that Sometimes it's like, what's the design part of this? Sure. Whether it's like actually designing like a digital product, or even like how do I apply design thinking to this? Because it's like, what are we actually here to do? Mm-hmm. That part was always like that part was I think the biggest thing, and I think it's one of the. So you insights. just
0: go to a meeting, and about an hour into the meeting, you're like, wait a minute, what's happening?
2: No, it was a little bit more structured than that. <laughs> I think it was more like when we got into like doing the work, and you know, I, I think we were this cool new capability. Mm-hmm. And it was a side that like, you know, people were like, oh, you have this now. This is neat. This is useful. How do we Let's bring it? Take it out.
0: Up? Take it out for a try. Take okay. it out for a try. Okay. Yeah.
2: And so I think that, you know, we were learning as we went along. Mm-hmm. But the insight was like, you know, a lot of times it's like the focus on like the process and the outcome where like in design, you're like, we're good at process and methodology. We're good at talking about that. But the whole process and methodology is actually discovering the outcome. Mm-hmm. And understanding how to, to balance that message, I think, is something we still are working on as we as designers work with you know, consultants every day.
1: Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say if it was 1988, Accenture would have never acquired a design shop. Yeah, 1993. Well Accenture didn't
0: exist, but yes, was <laughs> what is it? Anderson Consulting. Or yeah, whatever yeah. there it was, was prior. Some, they, they got in a pickle and names yeah. changed. It's all yeah. good. It's a good name. Everything's I like Accenture. fine now. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, <laughs> um, which I want to get into as you you know the fact that McKinsey has an emphasis on design now. Yeah, I think is interesting as well. But keep going. So you're all, you're how long did you stay at Accenture?
2: Uh, I was there for a year. Okay. Yeah. So. Why would you leave? I, I was just ready for a change. I think I was ready to do something different. I'd been in Fjord for a long time. I'd done a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah. I'd worked on great clients. I'd opened an office. I mean, right. I felt like I'd, I'd done everything you, I could do there. And I was it. ready for me to try something different. Um, got this call. Hey, we're interested in spinning up a design team. We have a small design team. We want to make it bigger. At McKinsey, are you interested? I was like, whoa, that's interesting. Okay.
0: It's an unusual. I, mean, I think for the listeners, too, why is that an unusual call?
2: Well, I think one as someone who'd been like on the tech side and then like in the design world for a bit, the idea of working at a place like McKinsey just seemed really alien. Like I you'd think of people like going to like business school, then going to McKinsey. Right. And here is like actually this opportunity to join as an experienced hire kind of later in your career. Mm-hmm. So that was that in itself was uh yeah. was kind of like an interesting perspective. Well
0: that's true. They usually just graft people straight out of like Harvard MBAs. Yep. Come on down to the big office in New York City, and you will be the consultant's consultant and go and do, you know, run spreadsheets at, about concrete distribution in in Egypt. That will be your McKinsey job. So, right. so getting a call saying, like, we're going to have this focus on design is pretty intense.
2: Yeah, and I think that um, at least my perception of McKinsey uh, as an outsider at that time, right, was like, oh, these are the guys who are like the CEO whisperers. Right. And they have a lot of influence, you know, in determining, like, the strategy of, of companies. Yeah. So wouldn't it be really cool? I think as designers, we see, we see companies like Apple, you know, putting design at the kind of like on the radar. It's like, oh, wow, now I could actually have um, a seat at the table. With like maybe that level of influence, you get to That's whisper very naive, too. By the way, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, because I, I have yeah. a friend who used to work at McKinsey, and he he had a great line. He was just like, ah, I loved it there because we ran the world, and he wasn't being ironic. It was there was a point where yeah, McKinsey just kind of ran the world. Yeah. So okay, so, so they had perceived that design was suddenly or not suddenly, but had become important at the highest levels of uh,
2: yeah. I, I think what had happened was the McKinsey Digital Labs team had been around for a while. I think even at this point, the Labs team had had been around for three to four years. Okay, And um, they'd been doing amazing work and really bringing technology, like making stuff Mm -hmm. within the firm. So like, you know, developing tools, uh, digitizing products, bringing agile capabilities and methodologies to client work. And I think the realization was that oh there's a we probably don't have as many designers as we need and that design could be a bigger part of that and maybe even a standalone piece so it definitely was with the lens of designers as part of MDL mm-hmm. i think our ambition has has always been like there's a bigger role for design to play and i think that is kind of as you know as, as mckinsey has made a lot of acquisitions you know you guys probably heard about lunar we bought a firm called veriday you know we're now 300 designers globally. But when I think
0: McKinsey, I think blue background PowerPoints and mm-hmm. spreadsheets. So what are you actually designing?
2: Yeah, there's still a lot of spreadsheets, there's still a lot of uh, PowerPoint, um, but we're not designing those things. Okay. Uh, so we are actually working with clients to, across the board I would say, you know we are designing digital products and services within MDL mm-hmm. and within McKinsey, uh, or digital McKinsey. We do have industrial designers, and they are actually working with clients on, like, physical products. So these are consumer products, not just sort of, like,
0: I would. I was kind of assuming it might be more analytics-focused or dashboards or ways to, because McKinsey usually delivers strategy, right? So it, it's what I was assuming it might be things that would help the customer, who in this case would be an executive, deliver on that strategy. But it's actual kind of th- things that consumers Headphones. might use.
2: Headphones. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of I mean, Lunar's made headphones. I don't think we've done that project, but Lunar has. That is has, an example has, of a type of consumer done, product. Okay. done uh, that stuff, but I, I would say, Paul, to your point, it's all, we've done those things mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, you know, wouldn't it be better if this was a dashboard versus a, a spreadsheet, right? Sure. Um, we've done those things. We've done data visualizations, but you know, we're, we're helping clients launch, you know, a new digital business from scratch. Okay. And there's a role that you know design. Um, plays in that, which is like going off and doing the customer research in the field, prototyping, co-creating, uh, mocking things up in Envision, bringing it back to customers, helping to make decisions about roadmaps, and you know what you're going to make. And we we get pretty close to like you know the MVP level um, in that process. So we are making things. So whether it's concepts right. or MVPs, we it's are not just a deck. It's not just a deck. And in fact, I would say that. The role that we play as designers, and I'd say MDL in general, is that, I think what digital has forced people to realize is that the recommendation is good, and it can be very well thought out and very fact-based, but it needs to be tangible. Right. Right. So I think that was the genesis of the idea is that, how do we take what we are recommending to clients and actually make it something that they can actually experience? which drives advocacy and actually shows like how complicated it is and the value it creates for your customers whether they're B2B customers, internal customers or external customers.
1: It's an I mean in a sense it's another communication tool. I mean, I mean you can hire that architect and he can tell you the building's going to be that big and he can sketch it for you, but then they do that small scale model so you can walk around it and better
0: understand and appreciate the challenges and why it's beautiful and why it's worth it. I mean, and we find that big companies come to us to do prototypes, not because they want to even necessarily get them to market faster, but because they have to tell a story internally. Yeah. And it's, tell, exactly. It's yeah. just not, if they can get that in three months, they can get buy-in. Whereas if they do 18 months of proving it out in terms of a budget, yeah. no one will, no one will actually go for it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think that, um, you know, I think there's a three stage process to this. One, it's the recommendation. What are you recommending? Two, it is about making it tangible so people understand it from every degree possible. And that, that actually makes it more actionable, which ultimately I think the larger size business you are, that is actually the hardest thing is actually driving that action.
0: Sure. So how do you advocate for a prototype to get built? In a, in one of, I mean, these are big companies, lots of people around the table. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons why people don't want to get things built. They like to talk about them. And you're coming in and saying, "Let's build a prototype." What happens? Do they go
2: yes? Do they go no? What happens? So there's definitely like I would say like two trends. One is either the project is actually you know the prototype is at the heart of it, and it's actually about how to validate what we're what we're building. Building the new business. Building the new business. Okay. Um, building the experience. You know that kind of thing. Because it's like, well, no, like this is part of the fact base. Like people have touched it. And mm-hmm. at some level, and we've gotten really good feedback, so we understand like what's good, what's bad, what we need to iterate. The second thing is you don't really talk about the prototype as an outcome, and you say, "Well, our role here is to drive capability building." So you can't actually understand how to do this unless you actually get your hands on it right. and actually are right. involved. So like the the clients' teams are involved with us, and you know it's it's I'm sure you guys have seen this. It's like you kind of like you know see one do one together, and then like do one with some hands-off guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing that we think about. So it's either about capability building or it's actually about like making that recommendation. And sometimes they go together. It's, but I wouldn't say we sell prototypes, right? We would never think of it that way. Okay, I yeah. understood. They're, they're an artifact that helps drive action. And, and um, sometimes
1: validate, right? Sometimes if you've got yeah. data behind the prototypes. Like we went out, we tested, user tested, we field tested this. The numbers are good. And there's some real, it's not just taste, at no. play here, there's still a quantitative, so we like
2: facet to, say, to this. Right? This
0: little company trying to be scrappy. Postlight likes to say we build prototypes, not powerpoints. But McKinsey Digital Labs is saying you can have both.
2: You can have both. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I think I, we would say that you, you kind of need both.
0: I think, especially at scale. Right? Yeah, I mean, at a scale, big, a big company needs. To all the communication it can get. Exactly. I mean, you got to walk that thing around. You do. Yeah. And, you know, and, and if then. they can see it, like I feel that envision and prototyping tools are starting to really kind of change that up because mm-hmm. just that little gap where it's actually on a phone and people understand envision's done a very good job to of, of of implying what's fake and what's not. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy for people to grasp in a way that wireframes were never able to, to do. Yeah. So you use this little prototype on your phone, you move your fingers around, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. It's very, very yeah. powerful. And that didn't used to be the case. That's only in the last couple of years you've had that opportunity. I, I, I got to tell you, the URL,
1: Envision kicks off with the URL. Yeah. And to me, that was the leap from video being this clumsy six-step thing on the web to YouTube auto-playing a video when you hit a URL. The fact that you can give a URL yeah. to a 53-year-old executive and all of a sudden they're experiencing the thing, I think, is a very big leap. It that sounds a big deal. trivial, no. but it is a yeah. very big deal on their phone
2: with on very little support. Like it's not the IT guy who's setting exactly. this up. No, it's true. Their home
0: yeah. on their Wi-Fi. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. you know the the fireplace is roaring and this they're like, is great. "Oh, I got this email from McKinsey." And let me
1: tell you, a 56-year-old gray-haired executive with a $200 million budget getting excited while he's on his porch on a Saturday afternoon changes things. It does. They start make, sending emails. I want to, like, let's talk. I want to brainstorm on this Monday morning. And next thing you know, this incredible pivot. I mean, ultimately humans, and some of us are knuckleheads, are the ones that, that they are the, the points in that map <laughs> that get yeah. you to well, the destination. I mean, we we've,
0: we've spent 20 years trying to explain why digital stuff matters to executives with their heels dug in. Yeah. And this is one of the things that actually can jump that gap. Like suddenly they go, Without "Oh yeah, this is great. This is like a, the other thing that I yeah. use." Right. And then yeah. suddenly you right. can have a conversation.
2: Yeah. Well, also I think for them, you know, you guys experience this as well, is we always think about who's setting the expectations of your customers? And it's it seems like it's everyone else setting the expectations of your customers. Right. And so when you've got something like a prototype, you're like suddenly like, "Oh, we can do that too." Right. And that's really eye-opening for them, and they're like way more excited. To your point, like, let me send you this prototype that you know the team built versus let me send you the PowerPoint deck. Yeah, That's right. Mike's going to
0: come out and show it to you at your in the Hamptons. We're yeah. putting him in a car. <laughs> yeah, that that's not as good. That's not as good. Yeah. So you've got a team at McKinsey. Yeah. What? How big is this team? What do they do?
2: So um, within the, the digital practice and experience designers, we are like I think over a hundred people globally.
0: Big old team. Yeah,
2: and these are all digital designers. So we've got people you know, in North America, Europe, Asia, now South America as well. They're, and they all come from kind of the usual suspects. They come from the frogs, they come from the fjords, IDEO, Smart Design, so very experienced design practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, they've all had, for the most part, lots of experience doing digital products and services.
0: And they understand agency work.
2: And they understand agency work, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And what we do is we actually partner with our, our consultant colleagues. So we are on projects together. And, you know, it's everything from let's go and help build a new business to, oh, can you give a, you know, can you just give some quick expertise on, like, why we think maybe this, like, app or website design is not working and how do we make it better? I mean, that's... A more tactical kind of like we'll do that as a favor kind of thing so it's a whole range of things and you know I think that what's really interesting is the fact that increasingly um, clients want to see not just from designers but clients want McKinsey and consultants to bring expertise okay the I think the um, what's a big change has been that the generalist consultant model smart people who can learn lots of things and dive into the business, is great, but digital kind of was like you need to go deeper than that, and we're seeing that across a lot of different expertise. Mm-hmm. Okay, so
0: they they need practitioners.
2: They need practitioners, yeah. Okay, and the practitioners bring credibility. How
0: long, if you're on a client, is mm-hmm. like are people on your teams with that client for
2: a year, for a month, for years? Uh, so it it really ranges. I mean, I think the typical project is anywhere from four to twelve weeks long, oh, but so that could easily turn into a program. Or you're doing back-to-back projects um, that are running for, you know, for a year.
0: But still, so three months is a is a typical engagement.
2: Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, coming from the design world, like what we do in 12 weeks feels very fast.
0: That's very fast for McKinsey, too. Like that, for any big consulting firm, they tend to like yeah. longer.
2: For McKinsey, it's actually pretty normal. Oh, really? I would say, yeah, uh, for the kind of work that we do, speed is important. And what's uh, just one
0: example of like what? somebody's calling you in, what are they asking you to do? Like right now, what are the kinds of things that people want you to do?
2: So, um, I'll talk about a study, you know, we we had a client who is, um, you know, they're a B2B player, they manufacture things. Mm-hmm. They're like, we think there's an opportunity to do Uber of X, okay. can you help us figure out what that could look like? Um, and our role was everything from... You kept that very vague, PR yeah. is gonna be happy with yeah. you, you're gonna be okay. Well, it's, it's a common request, right? Yes. So, we did everything from going off and, and talking to customers, the end users, and then trying to understand, like, what are their needs? So, you know, typical discovery process, but with designers in the field. All the way through, you know, doing prototyping a whole new business, coming up with a business plan, making that business, having a prototype, so this is what your users are actually going to use, to, you know, helping it present that at the board meeting. Gotcha. So, so, is,
0: so people come and say, we, don't, we think, we have a hunch Help us.
2: Yeah, and you know, along the way, you're like, it's not quite what you guys were thinking. We think it's you know over here, not this. So helping them navigate those pivots.
1: So one last question: What do you consider really great design today?
2: Um, so I love um, this concept that Amazon has rolled out. Amazon has built a convenience store in Seattle. I've seen this. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the concept, but basically, it's a store. You walk in with your phone, you shop, you put stuff in your basket, you walk out, and it's charged to your Amazon account. I think that is phenomenal design, and I think it's kind of ironic because people don't think of Amazon as someone who does great design based on you know like just looking at Amazon.com. But I think that you just walk
1: out with your stuff. You just grab some cheese. You grab some milk and then you leave
0: and everything's taken care of. So yeah. there's no bottleneck. There's no waiting. No. There's just as fast no. as you it can. Feels get it feels like your shoplifting. Hands. I think it's yeah. called Amazon Shoplifting. was shoplift.
1: <laughs> shoplift. Amazon <laughs> shoplift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um but it's really cool. There's a concept video out. Have you seen this Paul? Yeah I've seen it. Yeah. Amazon five finger is the name of the That's not the
1: name <laughs> of it. I'm pretty sure is not the name of it. Um uh, but yes, very, very cool. Kind of mind blowing a little bit. Yeah. I mean I
2: think it it really speaks to uh, addressing, it's a it's great experience. It yeah. addresses like a consumer shopping habits right. and kind of unmet need. It speaks to leveraging really interesting technology, but making it completely invisible right. and working for you versus you working for the technology. right? Um, and I think it's, you know, redefining kind of like what the retail experience could be like from someone who comes from the online world, but brings that perspective to um, the physical world.
0: It beats those self-service checkouts. Those yeah. are terrible. Yeah. Those are absolutely one of the worst experiences. That Similar are, intent, very different execution. Yeah, just disaster. They're, it's really rough, right? The, yeah. That's like the in-between there is just tough. Well, then you're just yeah. waiting for someone to come help you all the time. <laughs> I, right. I have very bad luck with those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, this was really great. Yeah, it was fun. Really Thanks, insightful. guys. Good to Thanks learn what's that. going on in the in the big world. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Paul, I felt humbled a bit as a little tiny shop here in New York City at 101 Fifth Avenue. Yeah, this is... um, (laughs) I love
0: name-dropping our address, by the way. I do, too. I'm very proud of this address. Look, it's a big world out there, and there's a lot of big companies, and they need big company things. Yes. It is interesting to figure out where we fit in a world like that. It is, and it's interesting to hear about design at that scale. You know, the thing is, is the fundamentals are the same. It's about getting something in somebody's hand where they look at it and they go, oh, that's what I wanted. Do it. Yeah, Yeah, let's go. go. Give me a prototype. Give me something like that. But- it's a different scale. There's more meetings in his world than there are in ours. Oh, yeah. It's a
1: political tool. Yeah. The design artifact is a political tool in many ways. I mean, it all Not in a negative way. It's just you have to navigate human beings to get the thing moving.
0: It always is. We do some work like that where the, the things that we do take months to play out before we can truly get to what we would call work. Yes, but we're not classically consultants in that way. Like, in, no. in general, we want to get to be building something as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, but a part of that process is concept, is design, is prototype. And it's interesting to hear how it's become sort of the center of a lot of business thinking.
0: Right, because this was a company that really dealt in strategy and numbers. And now it deals with right. rectangles and grids as well, and yep. industrial design. and yep. So that's a big part of the world that's changing. It's yep. It's not visible because... The things that they do in that world get shipped by other companies. That's right. But uh, it's a change. Things are changing. And that's why this podcast is called Track Changes. It's such a good name. It's the official – Rich named it, which is why he just said that. <laughs> uh, it's the official podcast of PostSlate, a digital product studio here at 101 Fifth Avenue in New York City. If you want to get in touch with this oh – God, I forget. What's the address? Hello at postlight.com. Hello at postlight.com. That's an email address. You just open up your email client and send us a note. We hey. love getting emails, by the way. And You really don't have do. to
1: just say, hey, great podcast. If you've actually got a question about anything, we we'll really answer just the it. crazier the better.
0: We like a good crazy email. Yeah. Whatever you got, just shoot it over. We've gotten some good ones, too. Check us out, postlight.com. We are glad to talk to you about anything. Rich, let's get out of here. Get back to work. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.